All right, well, how about Ruth? Let's find our place in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Ruth chapter number one is where we are today. Find Judges and then one book after that between Judges and Samuel is the book of Ruth. Heather and I started working in Brazil. We were a part of a worship service, and we were young in language studies and struggling with understanding. And we were in a church in the interior of Brazil, and the pastor was going to preach from the book of Ruth. And in Portuguese, he asked his congregation to open their Bibles to the book of Hoochie. I said to Heather, what? <laughs> Do I have that book in my Bible? <laughs> you know, when I hear that, I mean, the only thing I think of is a Hoochie Mama. That's, that's the only, whatever that is. I don't know what that is, by the way, but I've heard people use it. <laughs> How was that for talking myself out of a corner? But anyway, that's the way they pronounce Ruth in Portuguese. Uh, all R's that are up front are pronounced with an H and uh, just does a whole lot of funky things. Our vowels and, and consonants don't make the same sound in Portuguese as they do in English. But anyway, so today let's study the book of Hoochie. What do you say? <laughs> Hoochie chapter number one. Uh, the last time we were together, we looked at verses 1 through 7, and today I want to look at verses 8 through 22. But in order to set our passage for today in context, I think I'll read the entire chapter. It won't take us just, but just a minute, and I promise you this is the most important thing you're going to hear today because this is God's Word. So let's pick up in verse number 1 and run through this chapter real quick. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judea went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpha, and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then Malon and Kilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab, that Yahweh had visited His people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May Yahweh deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May Yahweh grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters, go. For I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should have, if, if, if even I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you. For the hand of the Lord, the hand of Yahweh, has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And then she said, Behold, 
Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. For where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. Thus may Yahweh do to me and worse if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but Yahweh has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since Yahweh has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned with, 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 and Naomi returned, and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Well, forks in the road. I really don't like forks in the road, do you? I mean, I wish the road was just straight all the time. I wish I never had to make a decision, do I go left or do I go right? Every time we come to a fork in the road, Heather and I end up in an argument. Because she thinks I should go one way, and I think I should go the other way. I wish decisions were just made for me by the Lord. Life would be so much easier if that were the case. But forks in the road are put there for our benefit. Forks in the road are put there so that you and I learn to grow and you and I will become responsible, mature people who make good spiritual choices based on the information and light that God has already given us. See, I think that's what forks are about. You won't come to a fork in the road spiritually that God hasn't already given you more than enough light and information to make the right choice. You see, there's something pleasing to God when His people have grown and reached a level of maturity where they're responsible and they can handle forks in the road quite easily. You see, because sometimes it's not just a fork. Sometimes it's a turkey foot. You know what I mean by turkey foot? Uh, Sometimes there's three choices to go. And, you know, if if two are complicated, then three are even more complicated. Colin, it's like a true and false question. I I, I despise true and false questions on a test because if I've got a 50-50 chance of getting it right, guess what I'm going to do? I'll get it wrong every time. Just the way it works. Forks in the road should not be that way for us, but I promise you as a believer... You are going to come to your share of forks in your journey with the Lord. And God has prepared us to make the right decision to take the right fork. So we find today in this passage of Scripture our three main characters up to this point. And these three main characters find themselves at a fork in the road. Here they are where a decision has to be made. So we see them, and man, what a sad scene it is. They're crying, they're hugging, they're bawling, uh, they're doing all of these things. But yet what this fork represents is three different fates. Because all of these ladies made a different decision. Even though two of them walked the same road, they were kind of headed in different directions spiritually. And when we come to a fork in the road, make no mistake about it, the road that you take is going to determine to a large degree your destiny. It's going to determine where you end up. It may even determine the type of person that you become. There's something about these forks. Now I really hate to use the word fate because fate sounds so predetermined. It sounds like there's nothing you can do once you've taken this fork. It's forever your, 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 
your plot in life to walk that road, and I don't mean to communicate that at all. But I do mean to communicate that there is significance to every fork that we face. So let's look at this text today and see what it has to teach us about three fates at one fork in the road. What does it teach us and how did each one of these main characters, what road did they take when they came to the fork? Well, number one, let's look at Orpah. And here's what Orpah did. Orpah turned back and she is permanently forgotten. Notice what the scripture says. The scripture says in verse number 14, they lifted up their voices and wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. Now that was a goodbye kiss because here's the fork that I'm taking. I'm going back to Moab. I'm going back to my people. I'm going back to my way of life. I'm going back to find a husband there. I'm going back to find security in my mother's house. I'm going back to my gods in Moab. So here was the fork that Orpah chose to take. She turned back and get this. Here's the significance of her decision. The decision that she made, the fork in the road that she took, walked her right out of anything eternally significant. She's never mentioned again in God's Word. It's almost as if she never existed. It's almost as if she ceased to exist the day she made that fateful decision to take the wrong fork in the road. Now, is it possible for us to do this? Friend, let me just ask you. How many folk have lived and died and have accomplished nothing in their life that has any eternal value, anything that will outlast or outlive their lifetime themselves? And you see, that's the goal. That's what you and I are here for. That's what we want to invest our lives in, things that outlast life itself. But it's very possible for us to take the wrong fork and be forgotten as well. And uh, Here she was. She kissed her opportunity to do something that would never be forgotten. She kissed an opportunity to have her life story written in the eternal Word of God. And she kissed that opportunity and turned and walked away from it. And friends, I can't tell you how many times that's repeated today in a spiritual context. How many folks come right up to the door, to the window of heaven, kiss the opportunity and turn around and ride off into oblivion and are forgotten forever and ever. Well, what were some of the things that caused Orpha to make such a boneheaded spiritual decision? Well, let's look at them and you'll see how related it is to us today. Why did she turn back? Well, I think she turned back, number one, because she took spiritual advice from a backslider. Took spiritual advice from a backslider. Now, who am I talking about? I'm talking about Naomi. Was Naomi a backslider? Well, you better believe she was a backslider. Now, how was she a backslider? I could enumerate many reasons, but number one, here she is, an Israelite, a child of Yahweh, and she's living in a foreign land where God says she wasn't supposed to be to start with. Huh? So here she is, living in Moab. She's a backslider. But I think, number one, encompassed in all of that, here's what defines a backslider. A backslider is somebody who willingly and purposefully separates themselves from the people of God. If you separate yourself from the people of God, then just go ahead and wear a name tag that says, Hello, I'm a backslider. Because that's what you are. Because see, because God, just like with Ruth, or just like with Naomi, had put her in spiritual parameters within the land of Israel. God has done the same for us, has He not? We are the people of God. By the way, here's, how, here's what the Bible says about one of the ways that John in his epistle in the end of the New Testament tells us that we can know if we've really been born again. Here's what John says. John says, by this we know that we've passed from death unto life. Translation, 
This is how we know that we are truly saved. By this we know we pass from death unto life, that we love the brethren. Now you know what John's talking about when he says that we love the brethren? He's talking about we love the people of God. We love the church. We love Grace Church. I don't come to Grace Church on Sunday morning because I'm just trying to check a box that my honey made an impression on a church chair this week. I don't come to church to Grace Church because I feel like I have to or I'm guilty if I don't. I come to church because I love them people. I come to church not, not because of any other reason except that's where I want to be on Sunday morning. Now listen, here's the deal. That's something supernatural that God puts in the heart of somebody who's been born again. Because watch me. There are times when we're not lovable. You know what I'm saying? If you love Grace Church, it's not because we're such lovely people. Now we're in the process. We want to get there. We really do. But here's here's why you you love the brethren. Because when you're born again, you're born into a family and God just puts a love in your heart for your family. And Grace is your spiritual family. But here, uh, here Orpah was, she took spiritual advice from somebody whom she should have never took spiritual advice from. Now granted, there wasn't a whole lot of other options around there, but Ruth had the same resources in front of her, and she made a good decision. So we can't totally exonerate her either. But here she took spiritual advice from somebody who was a backslider, not living in communion with the people of God, not living by faith, and she took spiritual advice from her, and that's never a good thing. You know, it's not good to take spiritual advice from folks sitting on a bar stool, huh? At the bar. I mean, let's just be honest. And here's what what frustrates me sometimes. You know, a lot of times folk come and, and, and they want spiritual advice from the pastor, and I don't mind that. I'll tell you what I know. And you can bet it's going to flow from God's Word. But I've given spiritual advice to folk before, and, and here's what they'll do. I'll see them in a couple of weeks, and I'll say, Hey, how'd that go? No lie. Here's how it goes sometimes. Well, you know, I spoke to my second cousin's ex-brother-in-law. He went to the Baptist College of Florida for one semester back in 1982. And this is what he said. Give me a break, dude. You've got to be kidding me. Look, if you want spiritual advice, find somebody who's walking with God. Like Cliff Myers or like John Wilson or like Bo Durham or Colin. I don't know about Jerry. He's kind of iffy. But find somebody like that. (laughs) And ask... I mean, Jerry's a grab bag, you know. I mean, whatever you get, huh? <laughs> Jerry, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's family. That's right. It's family. So here we go. Orpha, she turned back, rides right out of the history of eternity because she took spiritual advice from a backslider. Number two... I think she took the wrong fork because she chased after temporal betterment. She was only concerned about this life and how to make her life better in this life. And you see, that's really there's nothing wrong with that. But when we do that to the total neglect of spirituality, then there's something wrong with it. And I think we can see by the fact that she's not brought up, not mentioned anywhere else again, that she rode herself right out of God's will because she wanted a husband more than she wanted to walk with God. Hey, ladies, listen to me. You keep walking with God. You don't detour trying to find an old boy. Did somebody say amen? All right. You don't detour trying to find a better job, bigger house, none of that stuff. Here's what to do. You walk with God. You you take the fork that you know you ought to take. And here's what Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. She was seeking after Temporal betterment. Now look, ain't, ain't nothing wrong with making yourself better, bettering yourself. 
What I'm saying is there is something wrong when that fork takes us completely out of God's will and we ride right out of spiritual history. And that's what happened to Orpha. Well, three fates at one fork, Orpha turned back and she's permanently forgotten. Naomi became bitter and was socially repulsive. Now, why do you say that, Pastor? Well, let me show you why I say that. Notice what happens with Naomi. And by the way, Naomi changed her name here in verse number 20. Look what she said. She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, which by the way, Naomi means pleasant, cheerful, happy, bright, all of those good things. She says, Do not call me Naomi, but call me Mara. What does Mara mean? Bitter. That's exactly right. It means bitter. So here she was, a bitter old woman. Now, how about bitter people? Are, do they just attract a lot of friends? Huh? You ever, you ever notice that? And look, that's the way Naomi was. Look what she says. She, 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 as soon as some ladies meet her there in the city, uh, the Bible says this in verse 19, the whole city was stirred. You know why? Because Naomi and Elimelech, they were part of the elite socialite crowd in Bethlehem before they bailed out on God. Everybody knew them. She was probably a beautiful woman. And now she returns and the whole city is at a buzz saying, Hey, have y'all heard Naomi's back? And they look at it and say, No, that ain't Naomi. Because about 15 years of hard living outside of God's will done caught up to her. And she probably looked like a sea hag. And here she goes... And the women say, hey, Naomi, is that you? And she immediately begins with pleasantries, right? I mean, here's the way to win friends and influence people. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Can't you just hear her? (laughs) Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. And she goes to complain, and she's bitter and rehearsing all the bad stuff in her life. You know anybody like that? She became socially repulsive. Notice, none of these women clung to her and said, Naomi, it's so good to have you back. Won't you come to our house? Where are you staying? Come to my house and stay tonight. You notice that? Now, nobody asked her. Nobody had anything to do with her, but it's probably because she was so dang socially repulsive because she was so bitter. Nobody wants to hang out with a bitter person. I mean, do you know anybody like that? You see them coming and it's like, my God, maybe he won't see me. You know anybody's always complaining and always mully grubbing and everything's always bad. Hey, watch me. It's not bad all the time. There are good things that happen, even in the midst of storms. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and maybe we ought to focus on some of those rather than all the bad things. But here Naomi was. You know why she was like that? Because she had become bitter. she become bitter. She said, y'all don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me, call me Mara because I'm bitter. Now, here's why she became bitter. Number one, she became bitter because she blamed God for her own failure. I can't tell you, and this is, Dr. John, this is, this is most always the case. People who are bitter blame God for stuff that's not God's fault. Huh? I mean, come on, God didn't put you in this situation. God didn't cause you to backslide. You willingly left where God told you to stay. And now somehow none of this is God's fault. And man, that's just, here's what you got to do. If you're going to be one of those people that gives spiritual advice, you got to be willing to hold folks' feet to the fire and say, wait a minute, you mad at God unjustly. He's done nothing but good. You are the, one, you are the author of this. You are the daddy of this situation. Am I right? Check it out. Notice what she did. Notice her failure. First thing she did was she forsook the Lord. She even admits that herself. Look with me in verse number 21. Here's what she said. I went out full. And isn't that the case with every backslider? I don't know of anybody who's backslidden because they were empty. Most backsliders go out full. Notice she said, I went out. That's what happens when folk backslide, when they break fellowship with the church, when they sever their relationship with the church. 
I went out full. And here they go. So who was it that left? Wasn't God. Who was it that forced her out? No one. She made her own decision and she purposefully, willingly, consciously chose to leave the will of God where God said she ought to be and she went out full. And now she's bitter and she's blaming God for it. Hey, here's what we want. We want God just to be a safety net for us, huh? So if we make a bad decision, He's going to catch us and we're not going to suffer any ramifications or any consequences. That's what we think God ought to do. We think God ought to be like our old, loving grandfather. You ever notice, you you got to do a lot to make granddaddy mad at you, huh? I mean, he's going to bail you out. And here's what he's going to say. Now, don't tell your mom and daddy. Huh? You know what I'm talking about? How many of you have kids right now? And when you take them over to grandma's and grandpa's, you know what happens. They're going to be spoiled. You're going to have to retrain them when they come home. Just the way it is. And that's kind of the way we think God is. But that's not the case. You made that bed. Now you lie in it. You recognize it. So number one, she forsook the Lord. Number two, she promoted false gods. Now look what she says. Here she is. This shows you where she is spiritually. Now, you know, we may get the indication that she's all spiritual because look what she said in in verse um, number 8. She said, may the Lord bless you. Look what she said again in verse number 9. May the Lord bless you. And she prays this prayer for them. May God grant you rest. May God do all this. Here's something that we need to understand. We think every time somebody says, God bless you, they're a Christian. And that's not the case. We think sometimes, uh, sometimes every time somebody uses God's name like in a country song, oh, well, ain't he a Christian? Not the case. And here Naomi was giving an impression that she was spiritual, throwing around the name of Yahweh and asking for his covenant blessings upon Moabite women, but that's not the case. Notice what she did. Notice how far she was. Here's what she said, and here's what she was pressuring them to do. Look in verse number 15. She said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Can I say this to you? A true Israelite would have never conceded that there was even another God except Yahweh. He is God. He's the only one. And here she is giving validation to the fact that, yeah, y'all just going back to your gods. So here she was promoting and, and pressuring these two girls to go back to their lifestyle and return and go back to their gods. So notice the the failure that she has here, and she's still becoming bitter and blaming God. She forsook the Lord. She promoted false gods. And verse number 21 says she was found guilty. Check out verse number 21. Notice how this comes together. I went out full, but Yahweh, the Lord, has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since, here we go, Yahweh has witnessed against me. Do you see that word? It's a courtroom term. You know, nobody can be found guilty unless they had two witnesses. Well, she's saying here that Yahweh has witnessed against me. And look what else she says. And the Almighty, the literal translation, El Shaddai. Here it is. Yahweh witnessed against me and El Shaddai has afflicted me, basically El Shaddai meted out my sentence. Now why did that take place? Because, friend, she was guilty. She wasn't just charged with sin. She was guilty of sin, and Yahweh Himself witnessed against her. So here she is saying all the right things, but yet she's mad at God and has become bitter. Now, what would have been the right fork in the road to take? Well, long ago it would have been to repent. Nowhere do we find Naomi saying, God, this is my fault. This is my fault. Would you cleanse my heart? Would you purify me? Would you bring me back into the fold? We never see any of that. All we see is Naomi getting more bitter more. Hey, the more she talks, the less we like her. Isn't that right? I mean, the more you read and the more you hear what she has to say, the less attractive Naomi is. That's why I say she became bitter and was socially repulsive. She didn't even know 
how to win a friend and how to have a friend because she was pushing everybody away from her with her bitterness. So not only did she blame God for her own failure, but she refused to see with the eye of faith. And she says it in here so many times, but she can't even see what she's saying because she's so far down that road in a backslidden condition. And you know, that's the way it always is. Folk who are backslidden, it's hard for them to see what God's doing in their life. They almost can't see what God's doing in their life. Their their spiritual discernment is gone. Now, notice what it was that, that she missed in her life. Number one, she missed God's providence. Look in verse 21. I went out full, but who has brought me back? Yahweh. Yahweh brought... Hey, this story is just filled with the providence and the sovereignty of God. And here's the way God's sovereignty works. It looks as if these characters are moving of their own free will and accord, but behind the scenes, God is moving everything. I mean, notice what He did. In verse number 6, the Bible says that He sent word and she heard in the land of Moab that Yahweh had visited His people in Israel. So here's God's providence to begin with. She would have never heard had God not gotten the word to her. And now here she is saying in verse number 21 that God has brought me back. I went out full. She didn't say, and I came back empty. She's missing God's providence. And here's the deal. If God has done this, if God has brought me back, I'm telling you, you can just be confident that God has a purpose for you and He has a future for you. So Naomi, lift your eyes up, stop being so bitter and realize the providential hand of God is not against you but for you, girl, because you're back in the house of bread in Bethlehem. Now put a smile on your face and be Naomi rather than Mara. Huh? I mean, come on. Here she is, come back. And can I just say this? Man, when God brings a backslider back home, just know that you're not here because you just woke up one day and decided you were going to come. You're back here because God providentially has orchestrated the circumstances in your life, leading you back to where He wants you to be in fellowship with His people. Now thank Him for that. And stop beating yourself up. So many people, once they get back, they think, oh, I'm not worthy to do anything anymore because I've blown it. God has forgiven you. He's cleansed you. So stop beating yourself up and let's look forward and not backwards. Hey, anybody here ever backslid? Huh? And you're home now. Thank God. God has brought you back. Hey, anybody leave full and came back empty? Huh? Guess what God will do again? He'll fill you back up. That's what He does. Check it out. Well, she refused to see through the eye of faith. She missed God's providence. And she missed God's provisions. Now check this out. What did God provide for her? God provided for this elderly widow woman walking hundreds of miles across the hot desert sand of Moab, a traveling companion. Her name was Ruth. And notice how the writer stresses this. Naomi returned, but look, he gives three clauses describing Ruth. Naomi returned, and with her Ruth the Moabitess, description number one, her daughter-in-law, description number two, who returned from the land of Moab, description number three. Just in case you were wondering which hoochie this is, (laughs) this is Ruth, her daughter-in-law, the Moabitess, who returned with her, whom God provided. Whom God provided. Man, don't you hate to have to go anywhere by yourself? Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Heather can't believe when I'm on the road that I will actually get out and go into a restaurant and eat by myself. Men, do y'all do that? Heck, you hungry, what else are you going to do? Heather won't do that. She thinks that's, that's, oh, that's, she's, she's, she, you know, she's ate it with mercy. She feels sorry for anybody who's eating alone because that means they have no friends. <laughs> I don't mind that, but I had much rather have somebody else to eat lunch with me, huh? 
And even better, I'd rather have somebody eat lunch with me who's paying. <laughs> Here we go. She had Ruth with her. So I bet they stopped at all the McDonald's and ate together. Nobody said, oh, that poor old woman, she don't have any friends. <laughs> she had Ruth. God provided that. We're going to look at Ruth here in just a minute. Notice what else God had did. She refused to see through the eye of faith. She also missed God's perfect timing. Ruth, this is not happening in your time. It's happening in God's time. You know, after I wrote this, I thought, why do we always say that? God's perfect timing. Has God ever done anything that wasn't perfect? No, He hasn't. So if God's doing something, that's perfect timing. And look at the perfect timing. The, the, the writer gives us this time stamp right in the end of verse number 22. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Hey, that's significant. We're going to see why as we get deeper in the book. But you know, God's timing is perfect because He'd brought them there a little bit earlier, they wouldn't have anything to eat, they'd starve to death. If He'd brought them a little bit later, they wouldn't have anything to eat, they'd starve to death. He brings them there when He has provided for them. So, here's the deal. You know what the most amazing element and most of the miracles in the Bible is? It's the timing. It's the timing. I mean, something about, let's go all the way back to the Old Testament, the book of Joshua. It really is no big deal that God stopped the flow of the Jordan River. It's really not a big deal. I mean, that has happened before in natural history with an earthquake making landslides come down the steep mountainsides at Adam and damming up the Jordan River and it's stopping. So stopping the Jordan River is no big deal. It really isn't, especially if you God. But here's what the big deal is. God's been telling them for years. As soon as the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, as soon as their feet touch that water, it's going to shut off like a faucet. Timing. Timing. And that's what happened. So what if those priests would have stood there and said, well, we're going to stand here until the water shuts off. They'd probably still be standing there. But by faith, they said, God said when we dip our feet in this water, it's going to shut off. So they walk up there and dip their feet in it and it shuts off. That can't be explained any way through natural phenomenon. That can only be explained except to say, God did it. And you see, that's what God... Hey, God started this timing process probably six months earlier when He sent word to her and got her up and got her moving toward Bethlehem. And can I say to you, it's the same with us. When God initiates something in your life, that doesn't mean, well, hmm, maybe I need to go and pray about this for a week or two. The window of time done slam, boom. Hey, you want to see the miraculous things begin to transpire in your life? Let your timing and obedience keep up with God's timing. Walk with Him. Not way behind Him, not way out front. Walk with Him and you'll find that doors open when you get to Him. But if you get out of step and out of timing, nothing miraculous is going to happen in your life. Check out number next. Orpha turned back and she's permanently forgotten. Naomi became bitter and she was socially repulsive. But Ruth looked beyond and was eternally rewarded. Now check out what Ruth did here. It's amazing. Because again, she had the same information. She'd been living with Naomi now for ten years. Certainly Naomi had been talking a little bit about Yahweh because Ruth has a little bit of knowledge. We don't know how much, but we know she saw something there that was more attractive in the monotheism of Naomi rather than the multiplicity of gods back in Moab. We don't know what she knew, but she certainly saw something that was attractive to her. And she looked beyond everything else and she was eternally rewarded. Oh, we're going to see how she was rewarded. I, I, don't want to, I don't want to spoil it for you right now. But we're going to get to it in the course of preaching through this book. Notice what it is that she did. And here's what I mean by looking beyond. A person like this has the ability to see through their circumstances to the real significance behind their circumstances. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, if we really believe that God's in control and He's sovereign, then things aren't just happening at random. They aren't happening because of happenstance. Something's going on. One of the greatest things that we can do is develop the spiritual ability 
to look beyond physical circumstances to see the spiritual significance and substance behind those circumstances. And that's what Ruth was able to do. So check out what she did. She looked beyond and she was eternally rewarded. Number one, she looked beyond her mother-in-law's faults. She looked beyond her mother-in-law's faults. Now, don't you think she knew her mother-in-law wasn't perfect? Don't you think she knew that her mother-in-law was living where she wasn't supposed to live according to her own Yahwehism? Yes, she did. She knew all of that. But Ruth didn't say, Well, you hypocrite, it ain't working in your life, so I ain't going to follow what... That's exactly what people do today. They're just sitting around waiting for a member of Grace Church to make a mistake, and guess what? They won't have to wait very long, Jerry. One of us is going to do it. Here in just a minute, one of us is going to make a mistake. But that's not a sufficient excuse to dismiss the entire gospel simply because somebody makes a mistake, is it? Huh? It's not. And how many folk you know that are hiding behind that old worn-out, dilapidated hypocrite argument? Well, that's not going to get you anywhere, buddy. It's not going to get you anywhere in this life. Dang sure ain't going to get you anywhere in the next life. Leave that mode of thinking is what I'm saying. Ruth looked beyond her mother-in-law's faults. Listen, she knew Naomi, warts and all. Huh? She did. But she still said there's something about some of the things that she's saying. You know, here's one thing that you can take from a backslider when they quote Scripture. Because that's not their opinion. That's God's Word. So maybe Naomi and the household have been quoting uh, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Maybe she had been saying some things right. And Ruth had enough sense to know, hey, my mother-in-law is not perfect, but there's something to what she's saying. I can't deny it. So she looked beyond her mother-in-law's faults. Number two, she looked beyond to her preferred future. To her preferred future. She looked beyond her immediate circumstances to see that God's Word says, I have a plan for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you future and a hope. And that's what God has for us. And here she looked beyond her present circumstances and was able to see her preferred future. And by preferred future, this is what I mean. I mean the future that God has for you. And just, just write this down. The future that God has for you is better than anything you could sit down today and dream up in your own mind. Now unto Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we're able to ask or think, that's what God has for us in the future. But hear me, it's dependent upon you taking the right fork in the road. God's preparing us today for the fork in the road that we're going to face this week. And that future, that preferred future that God has for us is so bright, guess what? It just might be contingent upon us making a responsible, mature, spiritual decision in light of the information that God has already given us in His Word. Hey, she looked beyond her immediate circumstances to her preferred future. And finally, don't check out on me because you see I've got my board up here today. And you've been wondering, what is he going to do with the board? Well, here we are, so don't check out on me. I'm going to put some board on you, all right? Notice, notice the last one. She looked beyond her mother-in-law's faults Ruth looked beyond to her preferred future and she looked beyond to her heavenly Father. Now I want you to see this. You say, where is this, Pastor Richie? Well, check this out. Look with me in verse number 16. Man, here's one of the greatest statements of loyalty found anywhere in the Bible. Now look, this passage is read at a lot of weddings, but hear me. This really doesn't apply to a wedding for a multiplicity of reasons. The application may be when one person 
comes home and rejoins the body, his people. It may, may refer to that more or apply more to that than it does a wedding. But nonetheless, it's a great statement of loyalty. Look what Ruth says. Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you. Number one, quit pressuring me, mother-in-law. Quit pressuring me to do what I don't want to do. You ever feel like telling somebody that? Lay, lay off. Well, that's what she told her. Stop pressuring me. Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may Yahweh do to me and worse if anything but death parts you and me. So that's a powerful, powerful statement of her loyalty, is it not? But look, more than giving her loyalty to Naomi, she was giving her loyalty to Yahweh God. Now, Pastor Richie, where do you see that? Well, hang with me. Check this out. I want to show you to show you something today that this is really why you come to Grace Church, ain't it? So you can get some of this nerd stuff. Because I'm fixing to go nerd on you. I'm fixing to take you up the, the ladder a little bit. So you're going to have to get on your theological horse now. Are you ready? Are you on him? You're sitting on your theological horse? All right, you're going to have to ride fast, but here we go. This is what's known as, in Scripture, these verses are what's known as a chiasm. A chiasm is a, is a literary device employed in Hebrew to stress a point. And a chiasm goes like this. You can see it real well in the original language. A chiasm will go like this. Here is statement A. It's made on this level. Statement B is made on this level. Statement C is made here. Hence, chiasm, what's, this is what the writer's going to do. He's going to walk himself into an apex and he's going to back himself right out of it in a parallel fashion. So here is statement B on this level and here is statement A on this level. Now, guess which one is the focus, Mary Klein? It's C, that's right. That's the most important one in the chiasm. So here we go. Notice the parallelism. Ruth says right here in verse 16a, she says, here's the, here's the theme. Stop pressuring me to leave or to depart or to separate, however you want to say it. And that's in verse 16a. All right? Second part of the chiasm. I'm not going to depart, I'm going to stay. It has to do with permanence. Now the apex of the chiasm has to do with your people and your, here we go, and your God. There's the apex. Hey, God's always the center of everything, ain't He? Huh, He is. Now check how he backs himself out. Oh, I forgot to give you the verse up here. This is 16b. Uh, the center of it is at 16c. As we back ourselves out, at, we're dealing again with staying and permanence in 17a. And then the last a of it, again, talks about, talks about parting or departing and hanging out. So what was Ruth doing when she made this statement? Hey, this is one of the greatest statements of loyalty in all Scripture. This ver these verses are worthy of memorization. They're so good. And what is the apex? The apex is right here. So what does it tell us about Ruth? It tells us that she was able to look beyond her everyday circumstances and she was able to see through them her heavenly father, her preferred future, no matter the faults and the failings of her mother-in-law. And she committed loyalty to the people of God, but ultimately to God. Hey, can I just say this to you? I would love for folk who come to Grace Church and want to be a part of us to say, just like Ruth did, hey, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to be with you 
Where y'all are, I'm going to be. Y'all are going to be my people. He is going to be my God. I'm going nowhere. Man, if we had that type of loyalty and commitment to one another as the people of God, we would be inseparable. We would be unstoppable. We would be unified. This globe would have done, heard the gospel of Jesus three or four times. But can I say to you, here's the tendency today. We have a hair trigger on our gun that shoots relationships dead. You just do one thing and I don't like, boop, and I'm out of here. You do one thing that doesn't please me, boop, I'm out of here. Would to God that God would give us a little dose of Ruth. And when folk come to Grace Church, they'd say, listen, I'm not just here to sojourn for a little while. I'm here for good. You people are my people. This God is my God. And I'm going to stay here and ain't anything going to part us but death itself. Hey, when people have that type of commitment to one another, it's no wonder that God does such things through them as He did through Ruth. Hey, relationships are valuable. That's really what Naomi was talking about when she said, I went out full. She was talking about the relationship with her husband, with her two sons. And now here Ruth is, underscoring how valuable relationships are. Nothing's going to cause me to leave you. Nothing's going to cause me to leave God. In Jesus' name, let's stop being part of this throwaway culture where we use folk for a little while and then throw them away. Son, grace would turn Bonifay upside down. Grace would turn this world upside down if we would say like Ruth, don't urge me to leave or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. And thus may Yahweh God do to me and worse, if anything but death parts me and you. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And God, I pray today that you would instill within us the faith of this Moabitess maiden who simply responded to the light she had, God, to look beyond the faults of her mother-in-law, 